It is certainly so good to be back with you here this evening. We've had excellent crowds each and every night. We've had a great crowd out here tonight. And I want to just say from, from the bottom of my heart how thankful that I am to be, to be with you, to have gotten this invitation to come and to be with you and to speak to you from the Word of God. You've been excellent listeners. Uh, you've been attentive and kind. And I so appreciate the spirit and the attitude of the brethren here at Lakeside. I want to want to say to everybody that's been gracious enough to, to feed me this week, I appreciate you taking care of me. And likewise, Deborah, while she was here with us on Sunday, and uh, I've, I've been to your homes, we've been out to eat together, uh, we've been to potlucks. Uh, if I didn't know better, I would think you were trying to fatten me up. I, so th- things have been happening this week at the supper table. I've been really, really enjoyed that time with you. You may or may not be aware of the fact that this week, uh, my car broke down uh, as we were pulling out on a 27, and we had to have it towed over to Glenn and Kathy's house. And it's been kind of an ongoing uh, adventure this week, trying to get that fixed. And finally today, with the help of Doyle uh, and Dwayne, and uh, likewise Brother Gary, uh, we got the car back on the road with uh, their expertise and with their parts. And and so I'm just praying, and I, I'm here to tell you that this broken down car has helped my prayer life a lot this week. Uh, uh, every time it cranks, I just thank the Lord that it cranks. So we're hoping for one more crank and get that, that thing home here tonight. So thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I, I want to say real quickly here how much that I appreciate Glenn and Kathy putting me up in the presidential suite at their home and uh, treating me like a member of the family and, and being so gracious to me to make make me part of their home and not letting me basically do anything or pay for anything or Anything like that. So just thank you very, very much for being so kind. I think uh, Josh and Tiffany, uh, in, in, in a slight way, Josh and Tiffany remind, remind me of Deborah and myself uh, many years ago. And I appreciate them so much, the spirit that they have, their devotion to the Lord, their devotion to you, and the devotion to do what is right. I love them for that, and I love them for the people that they are. And Josh will be visiting with us, the Lord willing, later on this year, and we're greatly, greatly looking forward to that time for you all to be with us. Uh, at that time, we've been through a lot of things here uh, within our studies, and we're not going to try to cover everything this evening. We're going to be looking at uh, some very important things about the life of the Apostle Paul and the fact that, that that Paul is being prepared. He's prepared to to obey to obey God uh, within his life, and we've already looked at the fact that Paul had a former life, and that likewise from that former life he was born into being a child of God, and that his heart's desire, his prayer was to save souls. It was to save Israel. It was to save the lost world. Uh, he has the most astounding conversion that is recorded for us within Scripture. There can be no doubt that the conversion story of the Apostle Paul uh, is something that can, can literally reach and touch each of us in our walk with God as we walk like unto him. Uh, he's being prepared uh, to do the work of the Lord because he is a chosen vessel of the Lord and he's going to be taking the gospel, taking the person of Jesus into the world because God has sought for him to produce the fruit of service within his life. And we've seen those things in our lessons prior to this. As we get into our lesson here this evening, we know we had a past. And that, that past, in a lot of ways, was astounding. Uh, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was blameless concerning the law. He lived an extraordinarily disciplined life. Uh, he had hit a teacher named Gamaliel, who was a man of wisdom and likewise of knowledge, and that he was zealous even to the point of persecuting the church, even to the point of death. But at the same time, that former life uh, was something he counted as loss. 
Uh, he, and in some place, in some ways, he wanted that to be lost because of what he had done. But you notice in the passage here that's on our slide this evening, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. You know, the conversion of Paul, we take this through very quickly here, from that former life, the one he now counted as rubbish, he had gone from unbelieving to believing. And we said, well, what's the big deal? Well, I tell you what, for this man to go from unbelieving and somebody totally against Christ to believing was an enormous leap in his life. But that's exactly what happens by the power of God there and the power of the gospel. Acts 22-23. He had his pride broken on the road. He found out that everything that he had believed there in Acts 22-19-21 was wrong. The life he was living, the things he believed in, the passions that he had, uh, the, 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 this great cause he thought he was pushing and promoting, he found out he was dead wrong. And you know that on that road, God broke him into a thousand pieces. And if you're here tonight and thinking about what's it going to take for somebody to become a Christian, well, I'm going to tell you something. You'll have to be broken. God saves the broken and the contrite. God is close to those who are broken and contrite. God dwells with those who are broken and contrite. And that's what had had to happen to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, he, had, he had to see. He had to see Jesus as the resurrected Son of God, but he also had to be made blind. He was made physically blind. And by that power, he had seen the sign of the resurrected Lord. And by the power of God, he now had his sight returned to him. And not only is he going to have the sight of physical sight, he's going to have the sight to see what the Scriptures were really saying. He was a man who had searched the Scriptures, but he got it wrong. He searched the scriptures. He thought in those those words and in keeping those laws that that was going to be his eternal life. But those scriptures, according to what Jesus had to say in John the fifth chapter, those scriptures said they testify of me. Now Paul could really see what was being said throughout history and all the scriptures that were pointing this gigantic arrow at the coming of Jesus into the world to save men from their sins. He had to be resurrected from the pit of sin to the glory. Of God. We don't really think about Saul being a sinner, but he was. He was a man who lived in unbelief and pride and was part of an evil and adulterous generation. He was a man who had searched the scriptures in the wrong way. He was a man who lacked love for God, lacked love for man. He had to be forgiven of the fact that he had persecuted the church even unto death. He was enraged against them, and we'll talk about that just here in a few minutes. But he's brought from that pit. To the glory of God. And finally here on our slide, to go from being the enemy of God to being at peace as a child of God. Now, I don't think he thought he was an enemy, but he found out that he was. And when you come to the realization that you're living a life where I'm really against the Lord, that's a tough day. And a lot of folks out there today, they may be our friends, our family members, our co-workers, the people we go to school with, may be thinking, I'm okay with God and living a life totally contrary to Him. You might have found yourself at that, that place in your life at some time or another, that you found yourself thinking, you know, I'm okay with the Lord. You know, God's just a God of love and caring, and, and really and truly everybody's going to be okay and everybody's going to go to heaven. You might have found, hey, I was wrong. And then maybe what I've been teaching and preaching and living was so contrary to God, I may be helping to send people to hell. That's exactly what this man found out. But he found out he was now at peace with the Lord. He'd been reconciled unto the Lord. That's the terms that's used there in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. Okay. The past, the faith and the past of our great brother is where we want to go now. We've had the introduction. Here's the lesson.
Paul had a horrible reputation to overcome. Let me repeat that. Paul had a horrible reputation to overcome. See, now he had lived a life that was well known to everybody. It was well known to his Jewish brethren. It was well known to Christians. And that life that he had lived was one that was astoundingly powerful and astoundingly wrong. Turn to your Bibles to Acts the 26th chapter here tonight. Acts chapter 26. And we're going to look and see what Paul himself said about that former life. In Acts 26, starting in verse 9, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And while thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven. We're going to stop right there. If you look there in verses 9 through 11, you'll see all the things that he had done. And you know what? All those things that he had done, that, that list, that laundry list of what he had done there. You know, if somebody today had done those same things, it would be so difficult for us to accept them in. But if we go back to Acts the ninth chapter, if we go back to Acts the ninth chapter, I want to show you something very quickly here in Acts chapter 9, what happens. In Acts 9, he had done those things, and Ananias had sent to him, and we know that he comes to the Lord in obedience there. In verse 18 of chapter 9, And many there fell from his eyes something like scales, and received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Did you did you get it in there? Well, it took me a long time to get it. He spent some time with the disciples at Damascus. One more time. He spent some time with the disciples at Damascus. Now, what had he gone to Damascus to do? To arrest the disciples. He had gone to imprison them, to persecute them, to bring them to justice as he saw it. And he goes there and now he is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He goes to the very doorstep of the very people that he was going to imprison. And what did they do? Ah, no, 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 no. Hey, Saul, Tarsus, hey, 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 we like you, brother. And we believe what Ananias had to say, but I don't think so. You need to go on down the road, brother. That's not what the brethren of Damascus said. You know, the brethren of Damascus don't get a lot of press time. You ever notice that? We, have, we don't study about the church at Damascus. But you know what they did? They had to welcome the enemy in. Welcome a guy in who said all these things that he was going to do. Welcome a fellow in who says he was enraged against the brethren. Welcome a fellow in who said he compelled people to blaspheme. I believe he's saying he's torturing people to get them to blaspheme or to deny that Jesus is the Christ. Imprisoning those people. Here he comes to their doorstep and Damascus says, the Christians there say, the brethren said to this man, come in. Wow. That is Christian love. Is what that is. And we know that he began to work. Paul began to work. But you know what? It's going to be three years, three years before he's going to go back to the city of Jerusalem. Three years before he's going to go back to his brethren there. Three years before he's going to approach the church there. Three years before he's going to go back to his home, to his home base there where he'd been sent out of to do this work. And I believe, brethren, and during that time of that three years, he had to go through exactly what the other apostles had gone through. There was three years of training with the disciples, with the Lord, before they were in commission to do the work in Jerusalem. 
Except now it's going to be the resurrected Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit who's going to be teaching Paul how to become what he needed to be to serve him. You know what Ananias knew about Saul of Tarsus? He had harmed Christians. That's what he knew. That's in Acts chapter 9, 13 and 14. And the disciples were afraid. And yet what we see here, they accepted him in. And Paul is going to use his past in the midst of these brethren to do the good works for him. Chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. One more time, please. He says, immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Paul's going to have the power of God to help him. He's going to have the power also of Scripture. And he's going to take those Scriptures and he's going to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And brethren, we can do the same thing today. Uh, I recently visited a congregation in Alabama and there was a young man that I'm going to tell you a story very quickly if you don't mind. A young man there, he was teaching the Bible class that night and he was a new Christian. And a very new Christian and his story was this. He had been in prison for the last two years. And while he was in prison, he made it his life's goal to to prove that the Bible was false. He had no desire whatsoever to believe in the Bible. None. As a matter of fact, he began the process of trying to intellectually destroy the Bible. And so while he's in there, he begins to read the scholarly works of men to, to discredit the Word of God. He read a hundred different scholarly works while he was in prison. And do you know what happened to him? Instead of destroying the Bible... He believed the Bible. And not only just believed the Bible, he obeyed the Word of God. He obeyed the Scripture. And one of the things that had such a profound impact on him is exactly these things that we read about here tonight. Is the fact that the Scriptures, the past, the prophets, the prophecies, all those things as they connected through history were verified by the Word of God to be true. He could see that Scripture had been foretold... Many, many, hundreds of years prior to the coming of Jesus, and everything fell into place to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, friends, he was somebody who had no desire to prove God's word to be right, and every desire to prove God's word to be wrong, and what he found out was that God's word was not only right, God's word was truth. And he could prove that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I have so much respect for that young man and the fact that he has a changed life now and that he is living a life in devotion unto God and that we see here the exact same thing happens to the Apostle Paul and he uses the Scriptures mightily in this way by the power of God to do that work now in the way that is totally against what he had done in his former life. How do you overcome the past? Here comes our practical part of the lesson uh, this, this evening. How are you going to overcome the past? I'll just go ahead and ask you this, this, this evening. Do you have a past to overcome? Do you have some things that you wish you could have done differently in the past? Was there a time in your life when you had a different reputation? People knew you for different things. I shared with you a little bit the other night about Brother Evan Goldenshoe. Brother Evan came to Mount Washington over 10 years ago. Of course, he's been gone for three years now preaching the gospel. 
And Brother Evan had had a rough life. His dad had a rough life. His mom had a rough life. His brother had a rough life. By the way, they're all faithful Christians now. But they had a past to overcome. And they're not the only ones. They're not the only ones there. They're probably not the only ones here. You may have had a life to overcome. How will you overcome the past? You know what, to me, sometimes my past haunts me. Sometimes the things that I wish that I had done differently haunt me. I get to revisit that. My head's kind of like a, not a videotape or a CD. I don't know what you would call it anymore. Anyway, it's a video recording. Uh, you know, I keep, I revisit things from what I, what I've done that I wish I had done differently. How do you overcome that? How do I look back and say, how can this be any good in my life? I can't imagine how the Apostle Paul must have felt and looked back and remembered how many families do you think he met where he had been responsible for either imprisoning or killing one of the family members there as he was part of the church? Everywhere that he would have went, the reputation had to precede him. How is he going to deal with that? How would people deal with that today? Now, I'll, I'll say this very quickly. So, sometimes when we grow up in the church, and I'm sure there are several people here that have grown up in the body of Christ, and that's a great thing. Please don't think I'm making anything negative about that whatsoever. That we have more of a transition versus a transformation. And that we may not think that our past is really all that bad. Sometimes there are people who come to us that are, that are not part of that, that great lineage of being born into the body in a certain sense. And they've got a lot of things they've got to go through. And we kind of struggle with that. We kind of struggle with dealing with people that haven't got everything together. You know, it's only taken us 35 years of constant study to get where we are today. Why can't they get that in the next three months? But sometimes that's how we think. You know, I'm guilty of that too. And that's something I've had to learn over time. You know, when somebody comes from the outside in and they're dealing with a past that they, or they're dealing with their lives that is so different from yours and so different from mine, the thing you and I have got to do is be wonderfully and terribly patient with that person. And we'll have to have them to be patient with themselves so that they'll have the time to learn how to deal with that former life. Paul had to have some time to deal with his former life. How's he going to deal with it? He professed Jesus as the Son of God. You say, huh? Yes. He professed Jesus as the Son of God. You're saying, what in the world has that got to do with overcoming your path? Please, just, just say with me. There was something far more important now in his life than his personal failing. His faith in the person of Jesus Christ, was far more important than what he had failed in doing. And that helped him to put everything into perspective. Sometimes our lives and how I feel about my life and what happened uh, you know, yesterday or ten years ago, somehow that is the most important thing to me. And brethren, I've been there and done that. But you know what? How Paul dealt with this is saying, you know what, that Christ Jesus is far more important than my former life. And what I can do for him. He had a higher calling. Brethren, we are called to a higher calling than our own personal lives. And that is the calling of serving in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul understood and helped him not only to overcome his path, but to use his past. Because you know what? You're going to come in contact with people who have gone through the same things or going through the same things that you're going through right now. And how you're going to deal with it. Paul said something like this. He said, to the Jews, I became a Jew. That I might win some. To those under the law, under the law. That I might win some. To the Gentiles, I became as a Gentile. That I might win some. 
Paul said, I became what I could relate to, to every person that I came in contact with. Secondly, here on our slide, he increased in strength. Same passage that we just got through reading from Acts of the ninth chapter, verse 22. But Paul, excuse me, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. One of the things I like to talk about when I talk about the past in people's lives, I say this, and I, you know, it's, it's not me. I, I didn't come up with it. And it's this little, this little, this little meme, this little saying. It says this, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Paul was now growing. He was being strengthened. He was increasing more and more. Let me say to us as Christians here tonight, Growth is absolutely crucial to you being able to remain faithful in the Lord. I, I just ask for some personal introspection this evening. Do you feel, do you know, not feel, do you know that you are now stronger today than you were five years ago in Christ? If that's the case, you're growing. But if you're not, then you're not growing. And it's time for you to do something that's going to cause you to grow. It's going to be some stretching and pulling and pushing in your life. He was growing. This congregation has new Christians in it. Am I correct there? Are there new Christians here? This is yes. Help me out, please. Yes. You, you, I know you do. I've been here four days. you got new Christians. Well, they need time to grow. Yes. How much time will they need? It took Paul three years to go back to Jerusalem. If it took him three years, how much time will they need? The apostles lived night and day with Jesus while he was on the earth for three years. If it took them three years, how long will it take a new Christian? How long will it take a babe in Christ? How long will it take our, our, our teenagers? How long will it take someone who's just been converted to the Lord? You know, I've had the privilege and the blessing of working with many different people that have been converted to the Lord. And you know what I found out is that I usually end up spending two to three personal years with each individual Christian to help them be grounded and rooted enough to be able to let them stand on their own two feet. It takes some time. Can I say to you new Christians here this evening, give yourself some time. Give yourself some time. Sometimes, brethren, it's intimidating. It's intimidating for a new Christian to come into an audience of people who look just like veteran Christians. And we don't even think about that, but they do. Just give them some time to grow. They're probably going to make some mistakes. Do you think that they will? By the way, as you as veteran Christians, how many of you still make mistakes? Okay, I have two people, three people in this audience still make mistakes. I've been a Christian since I was 13 years old, <laughs> and I'm still making some mistakes. They're going to make maybe a bunch of them. How many mistakes do your children make? You know, how many mistakes does little Hattie make every day? Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Josh. And do we love them anyway? Oh, my goodness. Don't we? 
Don't we love them in spite of all the things we struggle with with them? And we just take them up and hug them and sometimes whoop up on them a little bit and hug them some more and, you know, and, and, and go on down the road because, you know, we love them. And we gotta teach them and we gotta train them, we gotta, and we gotta help them, but we just gotta keep loving them no matter what they do. And brethren, when we have new Christians and young Christians, we, we're gonna be some hugging and loving and some whooping, and we're gonna have to train them, and we just gotta keep on loving and loving and loving those, those young, those young babies in Christ until we can raise them up. Give them some time. Give yourself some time. Be patient. And if you sin, repent of your sins. Make that effort to change. Look for help to get that change done in your life. And as we as Christians are stronger, you may be finding yourself saying, you know, when I'm a strong person and I don't really have, I'm not struggling a lot with that anymore. Thank God that we have people of that kind of strength in a congregation. You are the people that the young babes in Christ will be looking to, to draw strength from. Be there for them. Embrace them, love them, correct them, but be there for them so they can grow. Saul grew. Paul grew. He spent out, he went out and spent years preparing to do the work of the Lord. And not only did he grow there, he understood that he had a God-defined purpose. He had a God-defined purpose. We as Christians have a God-defined purpose. If you want to overcome the past, since you become a Christian, you have to understand, I have got a new purpose in my life. I have this purpose of living and doing and doing the good works that were prepared before. And as we studied about it in Ephesians, the second chapter, earlier this week, I've got something to do. Is it important, my friends, to wake up every day with a belief and understanding that I have something important to do in this life? You know, I've I've been to hospitals. I've been to nursing homes. I have visited the, the homes of people who were infirmed, and I know when things are going to be really bad or already bad, when I come into the presence of somebody and that hope has been drained from their eyes, and they no longer feel like they have a purpose in life. That's, that's a sad day. But when you do have purpose, when you know there's something I have to do and that God has commissioned me to do, then now I get up with a spring in my step. I've got something I've got to get done today. I've got something I'm supposed to accomplish. And when you get that thing accomplished, you know what? There's, there's a wonderful feeling of satisfaction. But most important, like Brother Doyle prayed, that we bring glory and we bring honor unto God because He's able to use me and use you to do that work today. And that's exactly what happened to Saul of Tarsus. Is that beforehand he thought he really had purpose. He found out he really was doing the wrong thing. And now he wakes up from day one and said, I've got a new purpose. I got a new reason. I'm here to to prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to take this message into the world that Jesus has been resurrected and so will we. He had help from God. Chapter 26, please. Chapter 26, 22, and 23. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles, having obtained help from God. 
Have you ever got any help from God? I've got a few heads nodding. Have you ever got any help from God? Brethren, we wouldn't be here if we hadn't got help from God, would we? If there wasn't no help to be had, we wouldn't be sitting there. How many times has God answered your prayers? Oh, my. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. In the most important areas of our lives, we have prayed and God has answered and given us help. How am I going to overcome the past? How will our young Christians overcome a former life? Because they're going to get help. They're going to get help from the Lord. And you know what? The Lord a lot of times uses us to be his hands and his feet and his lips to help each other. Help's available. We just have to ask. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. But it doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say ask and maybe. It doesn't say seek and maybe. It doesn't say knock and maybe. It says it's going to Paul received help from the Lord. And so he became this man who could serve and to cause the world to be changed. You know what, brethren? Besides the person of Jesus, no one has affected our world more than the Apostle Paul. He made those brave and bold statements that we began these series of lessons with. His ways in Christ. Talking about imitating his ways in Christ that were taught everywhere in every church. He said, the things you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be, you, be with you in Philippians, the fourth chapter. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul, one man, one man who had failed horribly and miserably, one man helped to change the world. Get ready to close our lesson here this evening. If you would go ahead and take out your song books and turn to our song of encouragement. May we all continue to profess, to speak that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. To draw our strength from the Lord and recognize that we're growing and that God knows we're growing. And that we're going to seek to continue to grow and help each other to grow every day of our lives. Recognize our purpose. Put that in front of our eyes, our minds, and our lives every day. And pray. Pray earnestly for for help from the Lord. And that's going to happen. And whatever has happened in yours and mine's and anybody else's can be overcome by the power of God. Not by me. Not by my willpower. Not by even my positive attitude. It's going to be overcome because God can forgive and God can forget. Did you get that? God can forgive and God can forget. He will blot out our transgressions. They will be no longer held against us. That's part of the new covenant. It is so comforting to know that what I have done, what I have, how I have sinned, as I've been forgiven, that not only am I forgiven, but it's been forgotten by Almighty God. You know, God is there to help us. And He's there to help us in ways sometimes we we don't maybe we don't quite understand. But God is called an advocate within Scripture, and that's some that if you literally that means to call alongside. 
We have a deacon in Mount Washington. His name is Phil Stevens. I don't know if any of you know Phil or not. Josh probably remembers Phil. Uh, Phil is a triathlete. You know what a triathlete is? It's a guy who runs in triathlons, except you don't just run. You swim three miles, and you bike 110 miles, and you run 26.3 miles. How many of y'all want to sign up for that? We often accuse him for a little mental madness when it comes to this triathlon thing. But we love Phil, but, but Phil didn't get started, uh, you know, doing triathlons. He wanted to run. He started running, and he ran up the half, and then he, he's going to run the first full uh, marathon there in Louisville, the Kentucky Derby, Derby Marathon, the festival marathon, whatever you want to call it there. And my wife and my family and I, we all went down there to see Phil finish. So we got there, and it was quite a, quite a long time before Phil was going to finish. And what we found out was that Phil was struggling about, my, about, about six miles to go. So Robert Garcia, who is another one of our deacons, he goes out and finds Phil on the course. Now, Robert's a, he's a fitness nut, too, although he's not a triathlete, but he's just kind of one of those guys born to run. And he goes out and finds Phil, and he begins to run with Phil. Now, he's not in the marathon. He's just running with Phil. Here's Phil, and here's Robert, and they're running down the road. And so I, I go way up the street trying to find Robert and Phil coming down the road. And so I'm looking and looking and looking, and I finally see two guys, and it's kind of a weird picture. I see these two guys, and there's one guy who's just upright, you know, looking pretty good, and the other guy, I didn't know you could do this, was leaning about halfway over while he ran down the road. And I'm thinking, what is going on? So they got closer and closer, and, and Phil literally... I. I don't even know how you do that. How do you do that, Robbie? Uh, he doesn't know either because he's never done it. Uh, uh, he's running down the road, and, and, and I guess he was so exhausted, he can no longer stand upright. But he's still running. He's still running, and here's Robert beside him, and he's talking to him the whole way and telling Phil, you can do it, you can finish this thing, and he's pumping him up. Robert's really great at that. And he's pumping him up, and they're going down the road, and every once in a while, Phil bumped into Robert. And he kind of bounced back off and kind of got upright again, you know. And here we go. Now we got down to about a half a mile to go. And I, for me to get to the finish line, I had to go this way. So I ran the point three miles. That was my contribution that day. So I now have a sticker with point three on the back of my car. No, I don't. Okay. So I run down there because I want to take a picture of Phil when he crosses the finish line. Robert gets in. There's a, you have to go down and take a right turn. And you go down for about 100 yards and you finish. So Robert gets him to that point and he kind of lets him go. And here comes Phil. And I don't really think he was conscious for the last 100 yards. And he was just like this coming down through there. And I thought, he's not going to make it. And he got to the finish line. He literally collapsed over the finish line. And they came and picked him up. They had to pick him up off the ground. He had literally spent... Every ounce of energy that he had. But I'm here to tell you, brother, he would have never made it if Robert had not run beside him. Brethren, we're going to make it because our God is right beside us. And if we get tired and we find ourselves running sideways, he's going to have to stand up straight again and to cross that finish line. The Apostle Paul said, he said, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. 
Rather than it happen for Paul, it will happen for us. Maybe tonight, you need to become a child of God. You need to have your past washed away. God is fantastic at that. To remove all of those things that stand in your way of being with Him. Maybe tonight you need to wash away your sins in the, in the, the watery grave of baptism. We stand ready to help you do that. And maybe tonight you've got a past that's still kind of reaching back up into your life and pulling you back into it. And you know it's time to cut it loose. Why not take advantage of this moment? Don't wait. Come forward while we stand and while we sing.